Okay, welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. We are a medicinal mushroom company located in the island of Phuket, Thailand. And today we have an absolute legend of a guest returning. This is Tim Newton. He is the ex-CEO of the Tiger. Yes. And we're going to find out all about that and what's Nothing going on. Nothing more X than an X. Nothing more. He hasn't been axed. He is the X. But yes. on today's episode, we're going to discuss with him his experience at the tiger um what has led him to you know his next let's say career path and um kind of what's been going on and let's say since the current situation or we're just going to open up and say COVID 19 uh, we had tim on i think around episode 30 35 something like that maybe six seven eight months ago um we kind of discussed on that podcast more about tim and tim's life and what he was doing at the tiger so you can go check that out we'll put that somewhere there and that's how many of your guests have you had back a second time? Three. I oh think. damn! I thought I'd be the only no, one. I think you're the third. The okay. third one now. All right. Yeah, we had uh, Doctor Lodi and my buddy Lex. I think that's it. Just okay. a couple. So you, yeah, you're you're the third one I'm now. Privileged. Yes, this is a privileged guest bringing him back on the second time. So you know it's going to be a doozy. Um, we're going to try to poke the bear a bit today. Tim said go for it, but uh, poke, you know, poke away. I I, I don't get. Uh, too intense. So again, Tim, welcome back. Thank you. And with the hard hitting questions, let's knock it out the park right away. You've left the tiger. You are leaving the tiger. What happened? Tell us that story. Well, at, at July the 29th is the D-Day, my final day. Uh, I came uh, to the decision about three months ago. Um, we've had a, a, well, I mean, over the six years that we've uh, put the, the Tiger together and grown it to sort of be one of the most established English uh, language media companies in Thailand, th there's been a lot of twists and turns and we try this and we try that. <clears throat> then there was a decision last year to sort of start heading down the e-commerce route. Uh, in other words, moving away from just being media, providing free news, to, I suppose, weaponising that traffic and turn it into uh, actual cash to grow the business in a different way. And um, there was some dissension in, in the, uh, the board and uh, I was one of those people that sort of didn't want to go in that direction, but it was decided that was the direction that they were going to go. And all I can do is just wish them the absolute very best. But it wasn't something that I had any knowledge about or any interest in, although I could see it was a great way to sort of progress the company if the right people were involved. So it was time for me to step away. After six years, <clears throat> I was the founder of the Tiger and I was the oldest person in the business by a long way. And I didn't really want to cast a shadow anymore. So the most responsible thing for me was to step back and to let younger, more ambitious, more talented people take up the, uh, the leadership roles. And uh, that's where it's heading. So um, all I can say is, Good luck to everybody at the Tiger. Now, working at the Tiger, you're wearing many hats. Can you speak now more openly? Like, what was your actual position at the Tiger? And, and you know, both from the audience side and, and your colleagues' side, what were you doing behind the scenes? Well, I mean, I was, uh, for, for quite a long time, I was the CEO. But I, th I think that perhaps gives you the wrong impression. I, I wasn't sitting in an office uh, sort of with a... a a pointer saying you do this and you do that and you do that. I mean, I was very hands-on. Uh, I was doing the YouTube channel. I was sort of uh, directing a lot of the written content. Uh, 
but I was managing the staff and sort of doing the numbers and uh, reporting to the board. But uh, I was much more comfortable with the hands-on stuff. And as the business sort of grew, four years ago it was five people. <clears throat> now it's about 35 people. And it just got to a size where I wasn't – I was managing 99% of the time and actually doing things that I enjoyed about 1% of the time. So that was another good reason for me to step back. And uh, they've got much better CEO-type people now managing those sort of leadership roles, and the company needs that. Because when you've got so many people, a lot of them tie, you've got to manage that, and it takes a lot of time and effort to, to get it right. Plus, you've got to output the videos and write the stories and you know, pay the bills. So, uh, yeah, I, I was the CEO technically for, for quite a, a while, about four years. But uh, recently I've just been managing the English content side. And uh, now, as I said, younger, more ambitious, smarter people than me are, are taking on those roles. As you work in these companies and watching, and especially in the Tiger, and watching it grow from five people to 35 people, I mean, are you going from like chief executive officer or to chief um you know uh, execution officer in which you're just putting out more fires as you bring on more staff yeah that happens and growing a company has got a lot of growing pains and we've had our share of growing pains but the the company has you know sort of thrived throughout and even if at some times we weren't making as much money as we wanted the traffic just kept on going up and up and up and YouTube and Facebook and the website, the traffic just kept on going up. Uh, you know, in the last three or four months, um, we're talking about the middle of 2022, uh, the, the website, it's getting some 12.9 million hits every month. When we took the website over six years ago, about five years ago actually, started as the Phuket Gazette in those days, it was getting about 200,000 clicks a month. So there's been an enormous growth. And with that growth came uh, risks, plenty of mistakes, and a few wins. And a few arguments as well, because we sort of just made it up as we went. Uh, but now it's got to the size where there's investors, there's a lot of staff, and it's very real. And it's a really medium-sized, important business. And people rely on it. I always said the best thing that we could do was to provide free news to people and uh, reliable and uh, sustainable from a business point of view. And we did that for six years. And uh, the business will continue to do that. Hopefully the news will remain free. And there'll be now other e-commerce options. So it's an exciting time. What are you most proud of of what you did during your time at the Tiger? Uh, leave. It <laughs> was the hardest thing to do was to make the decision um, in sort of uh, April this year to, to leave. And it's not that I'm proud of it, but it was actually a really, really difficult decision. Uh, because I didn't make the decisions by myself. Decisions were made over those six years with the people around me. And uh, more recently, of course, with a, a stronger board with you know, financial backers. And so those decisions are then weighted. And along with that comes the responsibility. I suppose um, the most, not so many things I was proud of. I mean, I'm proud of the whole project. 
uh, getting the logo and the name together in 24 hours, I thought that was pretty clever, but that all happened organically. I didn't think of it as a big thing at the time, but other people do since. Uh, getting the YouTube channel going and raising the, uh, the subscribers from sort of about 10,000 to 80,000, pretty much on the back of me sitting on my living room floor during COVID, um, just doing a daily news service with my cats in the background. The, uh, looking back, I'm very proud of how we did that. I'm not a sort of person who is comfortable in front of a camera, but uh, I suppose I learned on the fly about how to do it because I'd look back at it and go, Ugh, that was shocking. I'm sure I can do it better. So I learned to speak better. I learned to present and uh, engage the camera, but I had to learn all those things. So I suppose I'm fairly proud of uh, the way that we were able to grow the YouTube channel. That, of course, has changed a lot too. Do you, do you have a... Sp- I think we, we talked about this l- last time and it's, uh, again, as kind of we went through COVID and whatnot, a lot of... Your, I'm assuming your viewership skyrocketed, but personally, for me, if I recall, and friends that were, you know, stuck and trapped on the island during that COVID period of time, it was the cats and, and it also and was... the shirts. But it was also your, your... The way you delivered the news in that, you know, Australian sarcastic type of delivery, which it was quite witty as well, instead of so you know static and bland which the news can be brendan that that, that's really interesting because um i I naturally just sort of do that type of delivery and it's a bit sarcastic and sardonic and um to australians that seems quite natural however americans in particular asians they think that you're just being rude uh and when i had my co-host jay and uh and i would sort of say something what are you wearing today People say, oh, my God, you're so rude to Jay. But I will always say to people, if you know an Australian and they're not being sarcastic and rude to you, you watch out because they're not your friend. It's just our humour, our, uh, our, our vibe, and uh, it's never been intentional. But I think in the future, one thing I will do is just go back to that and just be natural. Don't try and not offend people. Just be natural and let people figure it out for themselves. You get to the stage where you start analysing every word you're saying and measuring things before you open your mouth. And that is sort of sad. I think one thing that YouTube has proven, um, and TV, I suppose, in the days before then, is that people can pick you up when you're not being absolutely um, you know, pure and intuitive. And so I think in the future, if I'm going to be doing YouTube and stuff, I'll make sure I... I just stick to being me and not trying to be somebody I'm not. Did the board ever come to you and say, "Hey, Tim, you gotta take it, take it a step back, less sarcasm"? <laughs> you know, don't you know, kind of keep this more. Um, and, and we did talk talk about that where you're saying we're trying to go down the middle now. We're not trying to go left or right. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that sort of comment was us just panicking to the responses we got about various things. I'm happy to talk about that more. The the comment section. But it's not as if the board is a group of people that sit and read everything and watch everything and go and shake their finger at you. Only very recently uh, has there sort of been a directive from higher up in the company to take it easy on the TAT. Mm. The Tourism Authority of Thailand came under our, uh, our spotlight about 18 months ago when they started basically sprouting nonsense 
saying, oh, there's going to be 8 million people and they're going to bring in all this money. And I, I started fact-checking them. And all you had to do was get a calculator out and go, 8 million people divided by... That's not right. That's not even possibly right. And I was very critical of them, say, when uh, Phuket started the sandbox. Remember the sandbox? Yep. First time the borders would open, there was quarantine. and we had, all some, we had some sandboxers on the podcast. I brought them on. but yeah. There you go. So people wanted to come back and the sandbox was a process by which people could safely re-enter Thailand. But the TAT at the time was saying, you know, Thailand is open, come back and everything's open and everything's fantastic. And they were telling all the businesses, open up, the tourists are going to be flooding back. So Brendan comes down and opens his cafe in uh, you know, Ratutit Road in Patong and three people come and he gets annoyed. So I thought that the TAT were acting very irresponsibly and their enablers by pushing this narrative that suddenly everything's sort of back to normal. Well, here we are, gee, a year later. It was July the 1st they started uh, on 2021. They started the, uh, the sandbox. Here we are a year later and it's only now the tourism numbers are starting to creep up but we're still in July 2022 about 80% down on the number of tourists that used to come here. So Thailand and Phuket specifically have got a long, 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 long way to go. So I'm critical of these tourism associations pushing an over-optimistic narrative. It is not realistic. I think people want to know what's actually happening. They don't want all the propaganda and the fluff and the fireworks. They want to know what's actually happening. Yeah, when you are giving that narrative on the news, and I think this is a good segue into the comments section, um, what is the typical response that you're getting from your audience? Well, when we went down the track of fact-checking a, a large government, government-funded organisation, we actually got a really positive response. People saying, you know, it's about time somebody started uh, checking the numbers. And um, it sort of became bit of a, a mission maybe I got a bit overzealous sometimes and we haven't at the Tiger taken any strong editorial stances on really anything but that one I thought no we need to follow that through and so it did get to a point a couple of months ago when I was told to perhaps you could tone it down a bit but at the end of the day I think uh, maybe well, I'm hoping that somebody in the, the uh the TAT said, oh, maybe we better just double check our numbers before we release them. That I, I didn't dislike anybody there. I'd never even met any of them. I applied to do an interview with the governor of the TAT four times. The, the first one, they were in Phuket and uh, I knew they were coming and I knew where the governor was going to be and I said, I will go there. If I can have 20 minutes, we'll bring our own people. And they responded the next day by saying... I'm sorry, the governor can't uh, do the interview. However, we have the, let's get this right, the deputy marketing manager of the South African branch of the TAT who can speak to you. And I thought, well, that's just about the same as saying, you know. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> yeah, just a big finger at Which us. Which is quite strange. I mean, being the largest news source for Farangs in Thailand, um, um, and uh, that, you know, it's straight from the horse's mouth that that's probably the interview that needs to get done. When they're releasing these numbers as well, is it usually more directed to the Thai people and then you're filtering it down through this English news network? Well, I mean, just about everything that happens in Thailand is happening in Thai. 
and the Thai media report it. And then most of the time we're either translating or, uh, you know, sort of going through different sources to find out what's actually happening. And that, I suppose, is what the Tiger did. We siphoned information from a variety of uh, sources, packaged it into five or six paragraphs and pushed it out. And I suppose in the last couple of years, we've also tried to add a lot of analysis because what is said in public and what is actually happening are sometimes two totally different things. So just saying to people, this is what they've said, but we believe this is what they mean. And we were, I think, doing a much better job when we started doing that by decoding a lot of uh, the, the, the Thai speak. Yeah, when they're releasing that information in Thai, is there a translation issue and a meaning issue from Thai to English? Do they, are because, for example, in Australia or Canada, um, any type of news or policy that comes out, it's pretty direct and the language sure. is very, it, you cannot interpret it A or B. Right. How Could you explain maybe on Thai policy, Thai regulation, any type of news they release, the issues with translation and understanding meaning? There's... The words that are said sometimes are sort of couched in ways that are very tight. They're sort of generally polite. Um, there's no direct messaging. You sort of got to walk around three or four sentences to understand exactly what they mean. So if you just do a Google Translate of a, a, a Thai written story or a speech, it doesn't really make any sense. That's partly a Google algorithm problem. Yeah. But beyond that, when you get a translator there and you read the translation from them, you've got to sort of put three or four sentences together to, to get one sentence to understand exactly what they mean. So there's a cultural situation there. And uh, I think we were quite good with the way we were able to sort of get to the nub of the issues and say, look, this is what they said, but this is actually what's going to happen. And uh, I think we've been proved uh, to, to be fairly correct. We've, yeah, I think we've been able to increase our reputation by not only just reporting what's being said, but reporting what is actually being meant. Was there like a process or an audit or a fact check that you could take up, meaning you're translating it from Thai to English, and are you able to go back to those governing bodies and say, hey, this is what you've wrote, this is what we've interpreted, is this correct? Well, we'd have to wait for weeks because it, we, we'd, we'd never get the news out if we had to do that. So, um, look, I mean, over some 45,000 stories which have gone out under my watch, we've probably had to recant four of them that I can sort of remember where we've actually made a mistake and that mistake has been made because something was misreported or it was reported and then retracted by the person that said it and we left it out there. Uh, so we've actually had a pretty good strike rate, more through uh, serendipity and good luck than anything else. But we did have it, uh, processes in place, and we used to have to adapt and change those. It used to be up to me just to make sure I read every word that was going out there, read the comments from time to time, and sometimes people said, well, that's actually wrong. What they said was da-da-da. And you go and check, and you go, oh, yeah, you're right, actually. It could even be a spelling mistake that gives a whole different meaning to the sentence. But facts matter. And I was always, if nothing else, very insistent that we get the facts right. So that does take sometimes 
you've got to get three or four sources. You have to check beyond the Canadian or the Australian yeah. media and you just need to double-check and read a few different sources to make sure that's exactly what was meant. Who's managing the comments? Like, as who's reading them? Who's responding? Who's, uh, you know, pulling their hair out at night? Me, obviously. <laughs> um, time oh, for right, a drink. Yeah, take a sip. It's going to be uh, going to get quite long-winded now. Talking about, I wish this was a lot stronger than water. <laughs> yeah, our, our comments aren't too bad, so our, our fans have been nice. Being a news site, you are targeted big time. <clears throat> uh, if people just dis disagree with what you're reporting... It could be the COVID numbers, or it could be we're saying uh, the government has said that you have to wear a mask. Da, 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 da. Masks are useless. Well, I don't care what you think about. Masks. We're just reporting the news. COVID's a scam. Well, if you have a look around the world and look the way that it's affected, it's obviously not a scam. So we had to. It's not just those issues. It's just about every issue. There are faceless people, anonymous people, who just will rant. They will damage your brand. They are just making things up on the fly. Uh, they're just debating your facts because they just don't believe it or it goes against their grain or their beliefs or their own personal narrative. And this is something that's really grown in the last 10 years, really. The sort of the rise of this two-way engagement because you used to print the newspaper, publish it, guy gives it out on the street, dad takes it home, reads it, goes in the bin, uh, doesn't even talk to anybody about it. The editor of the paper said this, this person read it, it's over. And the cycle goes on the next day. Now it's a two-way street. And, you know, across Facebook and YouTube and a few other platforms, the website obviously, there, we used to get 600 to 1,000, we still do, 600 to 1,000 comments every day. And 95% of these comments are from people who are sitting behind an anonymous profile uh, with a fake name, which is okay. That's the way the system works. But our face and our reputation and our logo is hanging out there for people to see. So it's a very one-sided conversation. And when they start disagreeing with you or fact-checking you, uh, the fact-checking is okay. And we will, and if they provide a source, we'll always go and check their source. Um, so some, sometimes the, the source is, you know, sort of the, uh, the far-right shooters club from Oklahoma. You go, well, yep. probably not going to take that as a uh, reliable source. But all that takes so much energy. And if nothing else, the last six years have – I would have spent – Five or ten percent of my total time, just worrying and going through these uh, these commenters. I don't know how you do it, but I mean, yeah, we, we don't get that much, so we're okay. We have to go through every single comment because there's a legal. If they say something that is defamatory to, for example, the, the royal family, uh, if they say something defamatory about you know, your brand, then you could come to us and sue us. Mm. So we have to cull all that stuff. Oh, but what about our free speech? Well, you don't have any free speech on our website, on our platform. We're the ones that will decide what's going to stay there. But how do other news sources, let's say in Australia in particular, how do they deal with their comment section the I same way? I don't know. And maybe I should have rung a few friends in Australia or Canada or America or 
um, and said, what, what are you doing? Because it was just it very, very difficult to decide what was the best thing to do. Do you delete them? Do you hide them? Which means that they don't know if people are reading their stuff or not. YouTube, for example, takes out a lot of the comments before they even get to you. Yep. From time to time I go to comment awaiting approval, there's hundreds of them and I'm going, well, thank God YouTube took those out because I would have deleted them anyway. So a lot of the comments are, are removed by these social media platforms, which again are private companies that we leverage for our businesses. And if they say, Brendan, from tomorrow... Uh, you're going to be required to wear pink hot pants to do your podcasts. Well, we either put pink hot pants on or we get removed because mm. they are the ones who are driving that ship. Then when people come to our channel, we're driving the ship and it's our responsibility to make sure our brand is intact or even enhanced by people coming to it and commenting. So although people sort of see it as a equal two-way conversation, it can't be. And this is a difficult problem for all democracies and all uh, media, especially Western media, moving forward. I'm glad that I'm now stepping back into a situation where I'm going to have 99% less stress. 98% of that 99% was from the comment section. I will so happily never, ever look at a comment again. Were there any hard hitters that you can remember maybe more personally that you can share with the audience something that... Because, again, if you're reading it... No matter what you say, you know, it doesn't get you personally. I'm sure some of them you're like, that one stung. Well, look, I think a lot of people that manage these comment sections or people who recommend what you should do, they say, just don't worry about it. Or, or even worse, don't, don't read it. Yeah. Which is the most irresponsible thing you could possibly do. Because you're just leaving comments, perhaps slamming your brand or you, just for their, everybody else to read. And it is so negative. So, yeah, I mean, I can't remember any particular comments. I, I'm very proud, speaking about being proud of things, of some of the comments I've responded to with very witty retorts. I've, I've uh, kept a few of them. I've saved them on my phone. But when people have a go at you personally, you know, I used to do this about 9, 9.30 every night, seven days a week. Ugh, the comment section, here we go. And when they attack you personally, it's all very well to say, I'm just going to let that uh, just flow over my back. It's not going to bother me. But, you know, when you go to bed, it's eating away at you. And it does bother you. And I think it takes a very special type of person who says it doesn't bother them. It did me. It got me very stressed quite a few times to the stage that my departure from the tiger, I think, was probably accelerated by the fact that I just got sick and tired of attacks against a brand that I founded and against me personally. And heaven forbid, if you ever stopped just doing the news and started airing opinions, which again came from a member of the board who said, speak out about this or that. And as soon as you take a position on anything, a black or white, pro-choice, whatever the issue is, you're going to piss off half your audience. And then the next day you come back with another opinion and you're going to piss off half of them until the people who are liking what you're saying is getting smaller and smaller, the thin end of the wedge. 
So I started backing off from doing opinion pieces, even though people said, oh, we really enjoy hearing your opinion. Except when we disagree with you. We don't like it then. Mm. Think, oh, gee. So it's a very vexed uh, place to go. If you're going to be doing opinions on, uh, on social media, you do need to be able to have a very thick skin, which I clearly don't. Or just don't read as well. I mean... But you, you can't say... You, but if you, you got, can't read it. Like, uh, let's say you get one. H- on average, how many views? I saw usually 50,000, 100,000 views on some of those, vi- on some of the, uh, uh, your daily videos. Yeah. yeah so, I yeah. mean, you get a, uh, let's say you get a hundred comments. or you said a thousand sometimes. Let's call it 1%. Of course, there's always going to be a 1% of their, you know, keyboard warrior assholes. No, no, it's more than that. No, the, the assholes the, mm, percentage it's, would be well, that's 10 where, to 20%. Well, that's where they all come together, right? In the comments section. Sure. And because you're news or because you've got a view, then it just ramps up the asshole factor. But it's also the, the age-old saying, no news is good news. Sure. And everyone brings the bad news yeah. to the comments section. And news by its definition is usually bad news. And some people, they say... We don't like what you're saying, so we are going to disagree with you and be nasty to you. Mm. Oh, here's today's COVID numbers. Oh, it's all fake. Fake news. Um, You know, it's all the World Economic Forum and uh, George Soros and, oh, my God, I've heard it all. And you just get so – you try and get immune to it, but you don't. It just wears you down. Do you ever see bots coming into the comments section where you're like, what the hell is this? Uh, well, there's one particular bot. Every time we mentioned cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, bingo. What would happen? We, we would get hundreds of bots. Oh, selling something. Come check my channel out, blah, blah, blah. Sure. And gotcha. they were all bots. And, yeah. uh, oh, if you want to make a good investment, uh, go to Brendan Williams. Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. And that would happen every time we mentioned uh, cryptocurrency. The bots would wind up. So they would just you know, delete, 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 delete. Uh, but... You delete 50 and there's another 100 on the way. Yeah, we, we get that too. On any type of Instagram, when you're using uh, those keywords, crypto or NFTs or, or any type of hashtag in that sense. Now, as cryptocurrency, I know, and I know your, your position on this as well, but um, cryptocurrency with BitCub, I mean, drive, get off the airplane in, in Bangkok and start driving into the town. There's BitCub signs sure. everywhere. Have you had to cover this on, on the news much? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, when it came to things like cryptocurrency, pretty much, um, and this is, is, it could be soccer, the Premier League, or it could be um, gay venues in Botswana. Specialty stuff, we usually don't sort of touch. We cover the the issues and the news that are going to affect the, the largest number of expats, people coming to Thailand, tourists, etc., visas, opening times, um, you know, arrival procedures, stuff like that. So cryptocurrency, well, there was nobody within our organisation that had any, any particular uh, knowledge about it. I mean, I had an opinion about it, but my opinion can be expressed once and then left because it's just an opinion. But we've never done a lot of stories about it because it's such a large topic. And if you just talk about BitCub, for example, then you're leaving out you know another 999 uh, currencies or yeah. uh, registries, yeah, yeah. exchanges. So, um, well, but we did stories, uh, I think a, a couple of stories about BitCub when they were getting into trouble or they came to the notice of the, uh, the Bank of Thailand or whatever. So we covered it from a this might affect you type basis. Just very high level. You're not... 
getting into the granular. No, and, because we just didn't have the expertise, nor did we have the expertise on writing about the Premier League. Yeah, again, it's especially during that COVID period, a lot of the information, especially like people like myself that really started to follow, it's information was changing so fast through the government. You didn't know what was the regulation, what are the restrictions. Sure. So we all tuned in of what the hell's changing this week. Yeah. Did you notice numbers start to drop off after kind of COVID disappeared, let's say? A lot of people said, oh, look, you know, you just want to keep the whole COVID narrative going because you won't have a channel after this. Well, the thing is, the numbers we used to have before, say, March, April 2020, were not that much different from what they are now. Uh, I'm talking about the website. Okay. Uh, In English, it's about the same number. So we didn't really grow our traffic during COVID on the website. Now, we started doing a lot of YouTube and that grew. But I'm figuring that it would have grown anyway if we were talking about other news topics. Because, for example, when sort of... uh, the protests started in uh, in, in Bangkok, um, a lot of it in the 2020, 2021. We were covering that. That, that was getting a lot of traffic as well. And I think there are definitely uh, people have a malaise or a, 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 um, a lack of patience with the COVID topic now. But there are some very important stories that still need to be told about that. And we will continue to – we don't do the daily figures anymore – but we certainly do the milestones and you need to know about this. And it's all very well to people go, oh, no, I'm, I'm so sick of it. I just want to take my mask off. I want to get back to normal. But that's not our job to make you happy. Our job there is just to provide the information. And a lot of people think it's then their job to fire back at you and tell you their version of the news. Mm-hmm. So, okay, when your sources are as good as ours, when you've gone to the meetings and heard people and you've asked questions and you've checked things come back to us and then tell us what you think the news should be. Our job is just to report it. Whether you like it or not is of no interest to us whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think wish I could say that to the commenters yeah, yeah. face-to-face. Well, I'm sure maybe they're going to arrive on this podcast and yeah. I, I'll, I'll let you deal with them. I'll, I'll give you access to the YouTube. No, no, I'll give no, you no, comment no. admin access. You can go in there and keyboard warrior them. Do you ever get any high authority coming to you when you're reporting the news, let's say, on the um, the protest in Bangkok? Never. Uh, in six years, no policeman, no politician, no person representing an organisation or authority or ministry in Thailand has ever contacted us. So then we're safe. We can say whatever we want then because yeah. we're not hitting that level. You know, in the early days doing the news, I used to sit there going, oh, God, do we write about this? We're going to get a phone call. Never. Because we do the news in Thai language as well. And they've never received anything. And that obviously would be more easily consumed by somebody who may be concerned. But we always took our guide from the Thai media. If they were reporting something, then we'd report it. During the protests, they, some of the things that they were demanding was quite controversial. Things about changing the, uh, the Thai constitution to alter the uh, powers of the head of state. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And the Thai media were openly reporting this. And we thought, well, okay, this is new. They're talking about the head of state. We'll report it as well. When it came to the protest, interestingly, Brendan, the, there was uh, two sides. You either support the pro-democracy protesters and their demands or you supported the government and the police. 
And most of the media took one side or the other. It surprised me. We went right down the middle. We basically said, this was the number of protesters. This is where it happened. This was the response. Here's some photos. You make up your own mind. We never took one side or the other. Now, I may have personally sort of gone, good on those young protesters. You know, I used to be 20 years old out there waving my signs, walking down Swanson Street, Melbourne. I know how you feel. But, I mean, we never, ever shared that uh, during our reporting about the protest. We were probably the only media, English media, who didn't take one side or the other. But I was, at that stage, we were never worried about uh, being contacted by people because it had just never happened. Mm. Now, on that side, when you're dealing with the Thai media and the Tiger is the new kid on the block, um, are you an outcast from that network or do they embrace you? Uh, we've never had much contact with the, uh, the Thai media. Um, in Phuket, we approached the, what are they called, the Thai Reporters Association or something? No, no, you're, you're a frying, you can't be a member. Ah. Um, so when I was in Bangkok and I spent half my time in Bangkok, I thought, okay, I'm going to join the Foreign Correspondents Club. So I rocked up one day and said, hi, I'm Tim Newton from the Tiger. Oh, you can't be a member. So I've been rejected by both ends. So uh, no, we've never had any association with uh, other media. Uh, we get a couple of um, messages from time to time saying, oh, would you mind sourcing us on that story and stuff. but uh, And I run into some of them at different uh, functions and people line me up at a restaurant and say, hey, you're Tim from the time we talk about things. But um, I sort of don't really hang out with journalists um, uh, or embrace all the other media and stuff. I'm not. That's not really me. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's funny. It's interesting to think about that if you're going, again, Canada, Australia, whatever, and if you were to not allow, let's say, we have, we have uh, Chinese news in Canada. If you were to say, no, no, you can't come into this journalist you know, network, it would be a giant story. Oh, sure. So that's, it's still interesting in Thailand. And, and I've heard this from, uh, I love Thailand. I love living here, the freedom. Let's go to Thailand. Um, but as a foreigner, and I have had a friend tell me this that used to live here, now that's now moved to Mexico. He said the biggest problem is, as a foreigner, unless you're married to a Thai, you could live here 20 years and then something could change and see you later, you're kicked out. But in these other countries like Nicaragua and Central America and Mexico, you can actually get residency. Okay. So it's, it's, very, it's a very interesting topic for people that will be choosing to be a digital nomad as we've come out of COVID-19 that if you're taking this option for residency into consideration um, and that's high priority, then Thailand is not going to be a top choice for you. Brendan, this is an interesting topic. <clears throat> we could talk all day about this, but Thailand is for Thais. <clears throat> the Thais feel that and that is the way they want to keep Which it. Which is a great thing. Sure. And we come here as guests and th this is the box and if you're in the box and you don't like it, then you get out of the box. But I've been here for 11 years and I feel very comfortable here. I know, as you said, that if uh, things change for me, if I run out of cash or off you go, um, you know, you, you can't have a visa, you can't stay here. But it's their country if they want to make the rules. Now, as we're coming out of, uh, the, the, we're sort of into this 
semi-post-COVID period and they're trying to get tourists and people and long stayers to come back, the Thai government are simply going to have to change some of the current rules if they want this to happen. Because Thailand, from a retirement point of view, is not competitive with most of the other uh, countries around us. Malaysia, Vietnam, Philippines. Philippines. So if they want to get tourists here, they've got to make it attractive. They've got to get rid of the encumbrances. It could be a visa fee. It could be the length of time that people stay. If they want to actually make people come back here, they can't just hope and then worry why people aren't coming back to you know, visit their temples, bars and beaches, they're going to have to actively go out and say, <clears throat> here are some advantages why you should come back to Thailand and we want you to come and retire here because you're going to come here not for two weeks but for 365 days a year and rent a, a place and buy food. So they're going to have to work on this and act for it to happen. And I believe in the next six months we may see some changes. You can get back in six months and yeah, laugh Yeah, well, at they're me. talking about the digital nomad visa, but I, it kind of seems very still up in the air. Yeah, look, it's still there's still a financial wall there and there's still a skill wall. You have to have certain skills and you've got to be in certain skill sets. So I, I think the idea of calling it a digital nomad visa and saying you can come to Thailand, you can stay for up to one year. Uh, by the way, we're going to take... Uh, 10% of your revenue or some taxation thing. If you're going to work here, then we want a slice of the pie. Thank you very much. Uh, but you'll be able to stay here for a year. You'll have to do a 90-day report. That's it. They'll be flooded with people. Yeah. How many people would just like to come and sit in a cafe in Chiang Mai and trade their Bitcoin or whatever? But we'd be flooded with people. And that would be good for the Thai economy. But they say, oh, no, they're will attract criminals and bad people. Well, whatever visa you're going to have, you're going to get the 1% of people that are ne'er-do-wells or people that are going to attract the wrong attention. But you take the money. So I think Thailand's got to really just roll its socks up, uh, put some of its pride away and say, do you really want to be a future location for people to stay long-term? Do you want to really have a diverse, interesting, sustainable tourist industry? If you do, you're going to have to change some of the rules. Mm. But we've, at the Tiger, never pushed that. We've pointed out some problems, but we've never said, oh, the Thai government should do this or that. Uh, and in whatever I do in the future, I'm not going to be uh, lecturing them. That's not my position. I've always been very happy to be a foreign guest. Do you think they use these large barriers for entry to filter out the riffraff? That's their theory. That's their thinking, Brendan. But I, I don't think that it works very well. Those people will always, if they want to come to Thailand with their you know, ill-gotten gains, they'll find a way, as will anybody who wants to come here. But I think if Thailand really wants to become a welcoming place, as you say, change that perception of as soon as we've got your money, you know, your days as a walking ATM are over, out you go. That if they want to change that perception, then they're actually going to have to actively do it. Mm. And there are some politicians, I won't mention anybody, the public health minister, Anaton, uh, who actually say things which are very anti-foreigner and almost go out of their way to try and say, Thailand is the best place in the world and it's an honour for you to come here and spend your money. 
really? What would happen to, like, in theory, to the Thai economy if there was zero tourists? Well, we've found out after, what, two years. Um, interestingly, if you look at it, that, there, there's always this number of 20% thrown around. 20% of the Thai GDP is tourist-based. That's not really correct. I think it's more like 10 or 11%. And uh, I think indirectly, you know, the, the wives of tourists or the... You, know, you could probably say, um, you know, if you put expats into there and everything, it might be 20%. But just direct tourism from overseas would be 11 10% or even less. Uh, because over the last two years, we haven't had really any tourist industry at all. And the Thai GDP this year is going to be 2 to 3%. Western countries would be aching to have a, a growth schedule of the GDP of that. So it seems to me that Thailand's economy is resilient enough, even if the tourists don't come. Mm. Uh, they will come. I don't think we're going to see the 40 million number that we got in 2019 in my lifetime, or at least in this decade. Yeah, at least five, ten years, I'd say. Sure. It, it's a long, long way off because the world's got a lot of other problems at the moment besides... Uh, inflation, recession, up. money's expensive. I mean, yeah. how are you going to travel? Chinese, zero COVID policy. The Russians are busy. Yeah. So I think there are reasons that, uh, you know, out of Thailand's control. So Thailand's got to become more competitive. Uh, it's got a great car manufacturing industry. It's self-sufficient when it comes to food. It didn't spend a lot of money during COVID to give to its citizens. It didn't print money because they got quite a lot in the bank. So they're going to come out of this whole thing quite well compared to a lot of Western countries. Well, we still never know if the 2 to 3% growth of GDP, I mean, the Thai, Thai can control those numbers quite well. Well, um, at the end of the day, there are uh, sort of international yeah. measurements and uh, they can't hide it forever. It seems to me over the past two years, with all the gnashing of the teeth and the attempts to reopen the borders and remove restrictions, that it's been able to survive without tourists. But I would think it would be a huge shame if nobody ever went to Thailand anymore. Yeah, I, just more theoretically speaking, I think, um, I mean, especially places like Phuket, it, it, it needs tourism. There's no way it's going to survive here. Precisely. Um, but, but hasn't it, selfishly? Been fantastic here for two years. I mean, Surin Beach about, I don't know, just during that, that stretch, it was kind of had it to yourself. But you felt bad for the people sure. selling on the beach. Exactly. They exactly. were, like, there was a lady always selling scarves, and every other day I give and her 100 And by the way, that was Australian there. sarcasm, just so you know. Just so you catch on to that. Uh, so, yeah, look, at it, it has been devastating for, uh, for people. But Phuket is, what, 95% yeah. tourism? The tourists aren't coming here. There's nothing else. But the bot's about to get beaten. It's 36 today. To compared to the US dollar. Compared to the US. But if you compare it to other currencies, not yeah. so Well, much. it's the US dollar's at an all-time high right now. But yes. they're, I think I, I, won't, I wouldn't be surprised, and I believe I could see the Thai bot going to 40 by the end of the year. So, But then it will come back. Sure. The, the, I think the, the strength of the US dollar is the thing that is yes. causing a lot of this. And it just cannot keep on going up the way it is. There's just nothing bolstering the strength of the US dollar. So um, we're having a heavy economic talk here. I, I think there will, there's a lot of, sorry, big ups and big downs coming up in the next uh, year that's going to affect us all. Yeah. 
So, you know, watch this space. Hang on tight. Yeah. Turbulence ahead. Do you think we're at the bottom? Like in terms of like equity markets? No, I think uh, I actually watched three or four podcasts apart from yours. Um, I, I, I love watching these economic podcasts and some of these Bitcoin podcasts. They're hilarious. Uh, it's, I think we've got a really rough road ahead and there's a lot of things that are out of our control. All we can do is make sure we've got a bit of cash in the bank, look after our friends, our folks, our health and uh, just buckle up because I think it's going to be a rough ride for a while. I'm very grateful that I'm in Thailand. I think I'm safe here. Uh, and people can gnash their teeth and say, oh, it's a military dictatorship. Well, I haven't seen any tanks rolling down the streets. I haven't seen soldiers walking around with guns. You may disagree with the way the place is being governed. But if you're really against it, by the way, you can leave. I'm quite happy to stay here. And uh, I, I'm grateful that I'm, I'm able to live here. I'm grateful that I've got work. I've got a permit to be able to stay here. And I intend to stay here for a, a long time. Do you, Have you noticed inflation affecting Thailand at yes. all? Yes. See, I, I think it's different because for me personally, I, I cook a lot now. Because you know when you live in, for me, when you live in Thailand long enough, um, going out to eat it's just too much sugar, too many oils, too much shit in the food. I love Thai food, yeah. but my girlfriend will cook at home, and we know it's clean. So going That's to like... That's what you call her. <laughs> the maid? No, 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 no. I cook too. We, we go 50-50. But <laughs> when we're cooking and going to the grocery store, I, I haven't really noticed the food prices going up too much, well, besides gas. Th there has been uh, protection of the food price by the government... Le leveraging or capping the diesel price because all those foodstuffs and the cabbages and the pork and everything is being delivered by a diesel truck and they've capped. Now, that's slowly going up, so you will start to see the price of your food and other delivered goods going up. Uh, of course, now I'm paying 47 baht a litre for, yeah. for petrol. Two years ago, I was paying 23. So that's big. I've started to notice my motorcycle taxis are now charging me five baht more than what they used to. Uh, the price of my airline tickets is up 30 or 40%. Now, that's partly a supply and demand thing as well because there's not as many tourists here at the moment. But a year ago, when there was even less tourists, the prices were lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've noticed that the cost of airfares is going up. Yeah, I have noticed it. And we did a sort of an inflation watch um, on um, our YouTube channel a few weeks ago and people were sending in, yeah, I've noticed this and this and this. So when you put those all together, there has been... Uh, and I think how often three months ago did you walk around macro or wherever you do your shopping checking all the prices? We didn't really. No. And so now we're starting to check the prices. But I think we're sort of living in a little bit of ignorance that the prices have actually gone up and we haven't already sort of noticed very much. So this inflation, would you consider it more sticky in Thailand? Meaning like it's, we're in, we're in like an inflationary period, but we haven't really seen it yet. I think it's being delayed. It's, yeah. uh, the government has thrown, I was going to say, it's not the government's money, it's the taxpayer's money at a cap on the diesel price. And that has actually probably more than anything else they could have done artificially held inflation back a bit but it will catch up there is no doubt mm. and they've said now they can't 
hold the cap down. It was at 30 bar a litre, then 32. Now it's going up to 35 bar a litre. So they're saying, look, we just can't keep the price down forever. Uh, now, if the price of fuel keeps on going up and up and up, then at some stage, no matter what the Thai government does, it, it has to, it can't, can't just absorb all that. Well, at least at these places, like at your beach sides where you're getting your coconuts and your rotis, they've been overcharging us for 20 years. So sure. I think they can handle a little extra cost. And it's all very well for the government to say, oh, look, you know, th- th- you can't charge, there was starting to throw out these laws saying that you can't uh, charge more. But somewhere along the line, somebody's having to absorb those costs. Well, the And the, in, the, the consumer's going to have to take it up at some stage, no matter how much they want to hold the wave back, eventually the tsunami, oh, it's a bad word to use, the, uh, the wave does uh, come mm. over the, the side of the, the yeah, dike. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fair point. I mean, if the government comes in and says, hey, you, you, we cannot cap milk in, well, I guess Thais don't really drink milk, but let's say uh, jackfruit, whatever, or um, durian. If we're going to cap the price on this and you have a local mom and pop shop or you know a stall on the road selling this, well, they just won't sell it. it sure, because <laughs> it's going to be... As I said, the, no matter where you put the barrier and saying you can't put the price up there at the, the, the manufacturer or the distributor or the retailer or wherever you want to put the barrier, at some stage they're going to go, I just can't absorb those costs anymore. Yep. So I don't think the government can legislate the prices. They can. Uh, I think the, the, the diesel price cap has probably been more successful than they would have thought. But I think I was reading last week it's already cost them about 150 Billion baht? Uh, taxpayer. Taxpayer money. But again, as I said, over the past two years, they haven't spent a lot of money. So is that not just a Band-Aid on the, let's it's say? It's just a Band-Aid, yes. Right. But it has absorbed some of those uh, those costs, at least in the short term. Well, that's the better part of why I also live in Thailand, because, yeah, we haven't really felt inflation like they are feeling back home, Canada, Australia. I mean, what the houses price, house prices is crashing and... I mean, your house was worth a million dollars two months ago, and now it's worth 700000 Places like Thailand, your rent, okay, gas is a bit high, but we all live in our little bubbles in our communities. When you say gas, you're referring petrol. to petrol? Petrol, yes. Just checking. When petrol is quite high. I mean, we live in our bubbles, and if you want, just hop on your motorbike if you don't want to take the car out. Um, and that's why I could foresee a lot of digital nomads starting to move to these Southeast Asian countries because when inflation is too expensive to live in your own country, these are your options. Well, I'm in that age group, 63, where I am looking at the word retirement, perhaps in larger print than I used to. And I think a great opportunity for uh, not just the digital nomads, but for retirees because People complain about the cost of the retirement visas, the O and the OA visa here in Thailand. It's nothing like the cost of retiring in Canada, the UK, America, Australia, Western countries. The cost of retirement and then aged care is going up and up and up. This is a great opportunity for Thailand as well. Uh, for Imagine people 50 years old, they've still got 30 good years ahead of them with their feet working and great opportunities and adventures, let them come here, spend their money here. What a great place to retire. I had that conversation with my sister's a nurse in Canada and she, she, they work terrible hours. She, she regrets going to nursing school. Why did she do it? I said, I'm not doing any job that's making me work 12, 14 hours a day, even if they get the two weeks off. 
But I told her, I said, eventually the boomers or this older generation that's turning 60, 70, the biggest, um, let's say, business or uh, opportunity in Thailand is old age health care. Oh, I agree. It doesn't exist here. Yeah. And I know because I'm, I'm a golfer. Well, I haven't golfed in a while, but a lot of some guys, they're older, 70 plus, and they're looking for that service and it does not exist. And maybe a little extra service as well. But um, in Thailand, that old age healthcare, those homes, I think that's a great business opportunity. We'll have a talk after this. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we're coming up. Maybe this is the new tiger. <laughs> we can come, come up with our own show. Um, yeah, I know, and, and I've talked to people that, that were looking into that. Maybe that's a business idea that's already rolling through your mind? Shh. Okay. But I, I think I could see that happening. Um, so we won't talk too much on that. Tim's up to something. Next for you, as in staying in Thailand, you're planning to stay here, obviously, sure. for, the, for the rest of your life? Yep. Okay. Um, so that's why aged care is of interest to me. But I, I imagine that I'm going to die in Thailand, hopefully a few years hence. But uh, I'm very happy here. And whilst the government allows me to stay here and whilst economically I'm able to stay here, I mean, the the fact is that no matter how bad things get, it's always going to be a lot cheaper for me to stay here than go back to Australia. There's nobody to look after me back there. So, yeah, I'm committed to stay here. And if I have to spend the rest of my life on a tropical island in the Andaman Sea then I'm one of the luckiest people on earth. And um, even if the prices go up a bit, okay, they're going to go up a lot more in other parts of the world. So, yeah, I'm committed to spend the next part of my professional and then uh, older life in Thailand. Yes, I mean, I'm 36 and I've had that conversation with my parents. You look older. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's the camera, it ages me. Um, that was sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> sarcasm, okay? Let, let them know what we think. Come on, get them, guys, in the comments. Um, but, no, I, I told my family back home, I, I, I actually, I, if I never go back, I don't mind. And Isn't it funny? People, sort of, I'm sure your family say, oh, Brendan, when are you coming home? Never. And I tell people, well, I am home. You can come and stay at my home yeah. with, number one, the cats, the backyard, the barbecue, and the pool. I'm living the great Australian lifestyle here in Phuket. I'm not coming back. And it's you do get that Groundhog Day feel in Phuket, but to be yeah. honest, I enjoy it. I like the consistency. I like the flim- – it's very familiar. I don't mind doing the same routine every day and, you know, change it up here or there where I can go on a road trip to Kalak or something. I love it when they say, oh, you must get so sick of waking up and it's warm and 30 degrees every day. I say, no, actually, I don't. I love it. And it's, it's not that bad here. And to be honest, Hell no. the longer you live in Thailand, you appreciate the rainy season. Sure. I love the rainy season. Uh, but I also love um, the, the variety. What, the variety we get here. I mean, our biggest decision is it's going to be hot. We know that already. It's either going to be wet or dry. And so if it's going to be wet, take an umbrella. But we can go to Khao Sok, Khao Lak, Pang Na, Krabi. We can go within two hours and see some beautiful places that people spend thousands of dollars and looking at travel brochures, hoping they can come here someday. It's in our backyard. There's tons of variety. We sure. did a we did a road trip up to Pechabun. Yep, amazing. It's and I it's a hidden gem. I probably shouldn't even tell anyone because I bet you the ties anymore. The ties don't. It's more. It's very Thai, but I don't think they would want the Farangs to really know about it. Now it's difficult to get to, but it is. Much more gorgeous than Chiang Mai. 
Sure. I thought it was amazing. Yes. And we went there and we looped up to Sukhothai in Ayutthaya. It was about a three or four day trip. And that's the beauty of Thailand. There's still a lot of hidden gems here that I probably haven't oh, yeah. even seen. Um, I want to make I'm my... I'm the same. Yeah. I've had an opportunity to go to a lot of places, but I know there's still a lot uh, that I haven't seen that I will. I feel a bit sad when people, they come here to Phuket and they go and stay in Patong for a week or they go to Pattaya and go down to Soy Six every night. And they think they've visited Thailand. I mean, okay, I hope you have fun here while you're doing that, but you are missing out on so, so much. No, see, no that, that's where you're wrong. I want, let them do that. Let them go back home and tell everyone that's what it is. Because okay. Okay. <laughs> they always come in and they go, yeah, I went to Patong. I didn't have a good time. I'm like, yeah, tell everyone back home that, please. Sure, sure. <laughs> Don't tell them what's actually going on here. And th- those are even those hidden gems like uh, Pang Na Bay. I've probably been to Thailand six times before I even came to that place because every time you visit, I was in China, you go to Patong, you see the beaches, you drink, and you kind of see, okay, what's up there? But what's interesting because... Phang Na is another province. Yes. Phuket doesn't want you to know about it unless you take their speedboat. Yes, yes, yes. They don't want you crossing the bridge and bringing money into another province. So, yeah, if you're if you're in Thailand, just go to Batong. You'll love it. That's the spot. I'm so lucky because I fly up to Bangkok every week yeah. or fly back, and I get to fly over Phang Na Bay, one of the world's most astonishing scenic views, and I get to see that every week from the air. Thank you very much, Thai Vietjet. I would compare, it's like How Long Bay, but from if you took it from an old, uh, you know, maybe a Disney story, it looks like Never Neverland flying into it. Yes. It's that gorgeous. I think a lot of times uh, people confuse How Long Bay and Phang Na. Yep. They, they look quite similar. Well, I had um, a guy, uh, Colin um, McKay, on. Uh, we did a History of Phuket episode. Oh, he's wonderful. So I called him on, and he explained to us that Phang Na, um, all the way up, to Haolong Bay and even over to Guiling in China. Um, and it actually started even further down <coughs> south, further than Malacca. This uh, mil- millions of years ago was bigger than the Great Barrier Reef. And this was all underwater. And that's why Haolong Bay and, and Pangna and Guiling all look like this. Right. Yeah. Well, Colin, I think, was around a couple of million years ago. We <laughs> weren't. He's a good talk, Colin. I, had, I did two podcasts with him. So I had him. I must track him down. Yeah, fascinating I, guy. He um he did the history of Phuket. He did a book. I've got the bat book yeah. sitting next to my bed. I read a little bit out of it every night. So we did because I I didn't want to read it, so I brought him on, and I did two full on podcasts. I, we did one about two hours. I had to stop to get a flight to Bangkok, and I, we weren't even close to being finished. So I brought him back and um just let him talk. Yeah, it, it's basically the the tome. If you want to know the history of Phuket, read. The History of Phuket by Colin And you Mackay. can get it at, what's that place in Boat Avenue? Wine, Drinks & Co. They sell it at Drinks & Co. Um, Which and is the obvious place you'd go to buy a book. Or find Colin. Yes, there you <laughs> <Okay>. go. <laughs> no, I'm joking, Colin. That's sarcasm. Um, so ne- you're going to be here for the foreseeable future. Let's talk a little bit about what's next for you and you're explaining you have a YouTube channel and whatever else is going on in your life after the Tiger. I don't know how to do anything else except <clears throat> do news, commentary, uh, look at a camera and yak. So I will have a, a YouTube channel and uh, it's going to be called, don't laugh, Tim Newton Today. Well, that your name is already a brand from the Tiger, so you're fine there. As I call myself the unintentional, unintentional, the un, 
the reluctant. I'm the reluctant influencer. I never wanted to be in this situation, but here I am. So now I'm going to basically say, well, I do know a lot about Thailand. I've lived here. I know all the newsmakers. I know the news cycle. I know what's happening behind the news and the politics. So I'm going to share that information. And the channel's live now? Just. First episode. No, I haven't even done an episode. Okay. I've just done an introductory video, which I've stood in my garden this morning going, I've got no idea what I'm doing, but subscribe anyway. Are you planning to do like a news or just explain I, what it's well, about? Well, I, I think I'm going to sort of work towards uh, providing information and services for people that are looking to come here for a long time, uh, for business, for retiring, because I'm of that age. There's a lot of young people doing some really good vlogs here, uh, you know, blowing up motorbikes and uh, doing food tests. and uh, Chad and... Patty, Do Patty Doyle. and He'll never live that down. Yeah. Um, Chad's a good mate. Yeah. The, th the thing is that uh, I'm probably going to work at that uh, that, that older end of the spectrum uh, because they're viewers too and uh, I'm not exactly sure but the content's probably going to be me rabbiting on about uh, Anaton saying stupid things and uh, telling people to come here and retire here because it's a great place to live. So that's Tim Newton today which might be today or tomorrow. We'll leave, a, we'll leave a link for that. I mean, Thank you, you. you, you got to have a, uh, you must have like a reoccurring weekly theme of the cats. You bring that back, this thing goes viral. The cats. By the way, how much do I have to pay you for the, uh, the mention? Oh, yeah. I've <laughs> got a few spare yeah. coins here. Here we go. No. Okay. Graft. Um, so thank you for that. Yes, uh, Tim Newton today. But, but I've also uh, going to be working with um, a local company that's uh, establishing, do you remember Peg P Gas? The, the Russian tour company that used to no. have the, the buses, P-Gas in blue down the side of the bus. Right. They were sort of a um, – Hans can remember, you see. He's Hans, where, yeah, where's your microphone, Hans? Somebody's You're, smart here. Usually dialed in, right? Yeah, here we go. So, uh, yeah, there's somebody putting together like an Australian version of that, a sort of a uh, an ecosystem where there's airport pickups and a concierge service and tour boats and uh, – and a bit of media. So I'm sort of providing them with the media. And I've also got this idea of some type of retirement home that I'm talking to people about. Did you ever see the film? Sure you did. The Most Exotic Marigold Hotel. The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. No. You didn't see that. No, this, this, Judy Dench. It's the best. Maggie Hans, Smith. Hans, there's no way you've seen that. I promise you. I've seen that movie. It's, a, it's an amazing movie. The oh, best okay. exotic marigold hotel. Put it on your list. I want to see it on your TV screen. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it with the idea of the movie is that somebody uh, you know doctored up these photos of their crappy hotel in India, telling all these old British pensioners uh, that, that they could go in there and relax in luxury. Of course, it's a dive when they get there, and all these crazy adventures happen. Wonderful movie. And I, if I'm ever feeling down after doing the comments section on the Tiger. I would put on the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Probably seen it a hundred times. But it does lift my mood. And I've always thought that that would work really well in Phuket. Outsource retirement. Uh, so there's that's the other business I'm working on. It's kind of, would it be filling the gap between the retirement visa and the elite visa and, and like that type of service? Because obviously we do have the elite visa but that's for a different income bracket but it's not so much a visa it's actually a facility and yeah. services yeah that but it's that 
because there's a certain service that comes with the elite regardless. But now as these people are coming on on the retired visas, you're able to provide kind of a, a full package for them. Sure. Otherwise, they're, they're pretty much show, sh turning up you know, with a bag and maybe a little bit confused unless they've already had a friend help them transition and here. So a lot of it will be providing information. So and your saying, friend, Tim. Yeah, I'll be at the, uh, the desk. Welcome. Yeah. I'll be Basil Faulty at the <laughs> Best Exotic Marigold Phuket Hotel. What are you here for? Uh, that's that's going to have to be a reel on our Instagram. Don't worry, we got that. <laughs> so uh, I don't really see myself as running the hotel, but I see um, being part of uh, an organisation that's going to set up a, an infrastructure for people to come and stay here long term, uh, probably... For, for that sort of retirement 50 plus age group yeah and i think a lot of people that are living here let's say between the ages of even 40 to 50 um there is that that barrier and difficulty if they want to bring their parents here nine times out of ten it's usually the heat like i I've asked my grandparents to come out here they're 85 90 plus my grandma but tell them after seven years it gets a, yeah no i don't know if they'll be around that long <laughs> exactly <laughs> the turnover is going to be quite high at how these. long does it take to get used to the humidity do you think <sighs> i think at least a year oh i, I was gonna say six months yeah it's when okay. i first moved to asia it's the summertime well see i lived in taiwan and it's the, it was the humidity that's the most difficult what's coming out of that vent there who knows cold air just about every building you go in has got air conditioning. You, you, I don't sleep with air conditioning, but you can if you absolutely want to. You don't have to suffer the humidity. But I, I think you're right. There are some people that can't cope with the humidity. Okay, so Phuket's not for you. But for me, um, I noticed it for four to six months, but then I was used to it. And I don't even think about it now. I think it's very good for your skin. Yeah, see, I'm getting younger, right? There you go. No, I've, and you get, is, I don't think the word is climatized. I had this argument with someone before. And it's that, but again, you, your body, you're getting used to that, that humidity. I find for myself, when I go back, and I know Melbourne's cold as well, but when I go back to Canada, it can be the hottest day in the summer, and I've got sweatpants and a sweatshirt on, and my fingers are frozen. Sure. And my friends are, you know, shirt off. Yeah. It's nighttime. It's 16 degrees, and they yeah. look at me like a lunatic. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, acclimatized i think that is the word I, I love not that i love the humidity but it's just part of the package so uh it's something that you just know is there and that you can get away from it i know even inside when i'm working i'll always have the fan going rarely i'll sleep with the fan so i i need that to uh to make me comfortable but any shopping center theater bar restaurant they've all got air conditioning Stop complaining. Well, Come I think uh, once you're ready to launch that, you will be the first guest that gets the third appearance. And, <laughs> and, and if that's that, the right timing. And then we could bring you back. And at least I think this type of content, it's going to be difficult to get in front of the right eyes of that generation, but their kids will put it in front of them. And that's probably the, the audience. Wait, what, who's your target audience? What, 18-year-olds? Oh, no, ours 18 is... 18-year-old girls. No, not, not, well, maybe for Hans, but he's behind the camera. No, um, ours is about 25 to 45. Okay. Uh, and it's pretty much, uh, it's probably like 60, 40 male, female, but it's, it's always going up and down. 
uh, I think um, my target audience will be... 60 plus. Oh, not 60 plus. Give it a break. <laughs> oh. Say 50 plus. 50 pl- okay, I guess, well... Mostly males. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll watch it. Thank you, Hans. Yeah, as Thank long you. as the cats are there. I, I Hans don't... tells me he's lined me up twice before in a BTS. Where was the other one? In a yeah, it's BTS and Macro. In Macro. It. He tells the story Two on the podcast. Two memorable podca- moments in my life. It's like the, <laughs> it's the tenth time he's told this story on the podcast, too. He's like, oh, remember when... No, I'm joking. I can't, I can't remember him. No. But I mean, just, it was a very memorable moment for me, Hans, and I, I, I think about you every night. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> now, before we, we wrap it up... Um, yes. I've I've followed your Instagram, your stories here and there, and you've recently kind of done up the house and you got the pool going. <laughs> but I'm sure if you, any of your audience, especially uh, on Facebook, which is more personal to you, and that's how you'll kind of reach out to those people, um, could you quickly run us through that long process? The house? Yeah. Cause well, okay. The thing is, um, pe- people will always ask me as some sort of perceived authority, should I rent or buy? Rent. Uh, unless you've got money to, and you really, really, really want to buy something, I'd always sort of say rent because it gives you a lot of flexibility and there's so much property to rent. And the price is quite fair. Absolutely. Okay, so I pay 20000 baht a month. That's what I pay for this whole place. Okay. Yeah. So I've got a, it's a five-bedroom house, older style, about 35 years old, higher ceilings, bigger rooms, like five by five metre Which area? Bedrooms. Without the street, don't Cock, worry. Cockow. Cow, where's Cow? Is that on Boat Lagoon? Boat Lagoon, yeah. Okay. Road. Gotcha. Okay, on the east coast. So we're not in the middle of Patong. We're not. We don't have a sea view, but I've got a large block of land, which people go, oh, all that land to look after. But I love it. I love getting out on Sundays. This is how pedestrian I am, and mowing the lawn. Short shorts. Short shorts. <laughs> Sometimes speedos okay. for the, those lucky people walking by, and I love mowing the lawn and doing a bit of gardening. Uh, I've got the uh, the pool, the above ground pool, thirty thousand baht, the best thirty thousand baht I ever spent, and um, pretty much looks after itself. That includes the filter and the ladder, by the way. So uh, I, I really am living the great Australian dream. I've got a cheap uh, macro barbecue thing uh, that just works. Uh, I've just done an outdoor patio. I, I actually really enjoy doing these little sort of weekend projects. My favourite shop in Thailand is Thai Wat Sadu, the hardware store. Yep. I just love fossicking around in there. Oh, those those barbecue tongs are on special. I'll have a set of those, thanks. Seeing all the, well, I guess uh, both Thai Wat Sadu and maybe a home pro finding the 8 million Thai workers hiding in every... Different aisle. I don't know how those businesses make and money. Like the, the, their slogan is "My Me." <laughs> Everything is "My Me." Yeah, Where is no this have, "My Me"? No, I have. <laughs> but you, you go to any of them and say, "I need help," and they run a million miles. Yeah. They see me coming, but uh, yeah, they've got plenty of staff. I don't know how it works, but yeah, I love fossicking around in there and buying a bit of timber and a. And your landlord's okay with that? The landlord, she like she to comes any in. type of modifications, they don't care. For the big ones, like we replaced all our sliding front doors, we went halves. I said we can't hardly move the front door anymore. Can we replace them? Oh, magnificent! But uh, she's fine. She comes in time to time and looks around and goes, "Oh wow, that's fantastic!" And we've painted the walls and did a soft makeover in the kitchen, and she loves it. Why did you choose that area? Well, uh, 
for me, it's half an hour to Patong, half an hour to Chulong, half an hour to the airport. It's half an hour from everywhere important. And you get all the land. Half an hour to see you. Hey. And it's got the land. It's 20,000 baht, I think, is very reasonable. Yeah. And you can live here in Phuket very cheaply if you want. If you come here as a tourist and think that you're going to get a a, a beach, a pool villa with a beach view of the Andaman Sea, okay, that's going to cost you eighty or a hundred thousand baht a At month. At least, sure. But if you want to live like a local in a local community, uh, you can do that really, really cheaply. But don't just come here and do something in the first week. Live here for three or four months. Get on a motorbike. Have a bit of a fossick around. Talk to Brendan. Talk to me. Talk to other people. And, uh, you know, pinch all the ideas. You need to find out where to live on the island that works for you. And it's different for everybody. Absolutely. And literally, when we go out of the gate, there's nothing there. There's Tepkasatri Road and there's Boat Lagoon over the road. I'm going to blow my nose. Uh, No worries. And there's there's like a Muslim village down the road. We sort of hear the call to prayer five times a day just there in the distance. Very nice. Yeah, the, I had a, a couple friends that were kind of living in this area of Surin, um, and then during and kind of after COVID, they moved out to your area strictly for the land, um, just so they had more space and they had kids and they can run around. And because to have land that you probably have over here in that type of let's say five bedroom, I mean, you're talking that's eighty to a hundred thousand in, in this area. For sure. sure. So I mean, Phuket very much is the west coast, and it, it's one price. They go over the hill, and it gets much cheaper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't have uh, Surin Beach on your doorstep. Yeah, you're not near the beach, but a, uh, but I know the beaches are there, and I can get to them within half an hour any day of the week I yeah. want, or even better, I jump in my own pool. Do you have any run-ins with? And then I'm sure people will ask that question. Do you have run-ins with cobras, vipers, anything like that in the garden? Oh, I've I, I confronted a cobra. I've told this story a few times. I was at a golf villa. I don't play golf, but the last place I was at was a golf villa. And but uh, not at your your place. At, at my place, it oh, was okay. a golf villa in a place I was before I moved to Kokau. And one day the cats were screaming. I had about five cats at one stage, and two of them were screaming at the front gate on either side of the front gate. And there, there was in the front gate, a cobra, king cobra, probably about 1.52 metres long, silver, and it was just there. And the cats were about to try and kill it. And I very quickly thought, well, those cats are going to die. The cobra is going to go for the first one that attacks it, and then it'll go for the second one. Mm. And the cats will be dead. So without even thinking, I just went out there and staring the cobra in the face, in the eyes. I grabbed one cat, put it under my arm, screaming like a banshee, grabbed the other one by the scruff of the neck, put it under my arm, still staring at the cobra, and just slowly stepped back. And I got back into the house, and I thought, you idiot. Yes. You absolute idiot. The cats were screaming and scratching, and had scratch marks down the side of my face. The cobra, when I was backing away, just slithered off and I suddenly realised this is the most stupid thing I could have done but anyway the cats are fine uh, that was my one big confrontation I was that close to uh, a cobra I'm not, not kidding and it could have hit me like that but I wasn't threatening it I was just removing these screaming animals but uh, there would be cobras around our house uh, Brendan but I, I 
I think I, I, it's, it's quite residential and there's a lot of traffic and stuff, um, so it sort of keeps them away. Yeah, I haven't seen many. Usually they'll come out w- with heavy rain because they, us- they live underground and the rain will flood them out. They, oh, great. Like, Thanks for telling me. Well, it's good to know. It's good to know because I've seen them in the fields around here and the only time I've ever seen them is after a big storm. And that's from the flooding because they're living underground. I'm aware that they're going to be around. <coughs> and uh, when I'm sort of heading in, mowing the grass on Sundays, if I'm heading into a longer patch of grass, I'll always say, just yeah. tread a little bit heavier here and rev up the engine so they can sh- skedaddle. Coming from Australia, you would have thought, I didn't see any snakes in Australia, even though we've got all the leading venomous snakes. But I've seen plenty of snakes here including that one cobra whose eyes I will not forget. And I think that's the best way to end this podcast. I think we've just passed over an hour and a bit. Oh, my goodness. See, it flies by out here. You can do this every day. Yeah. Um, Perhaps not. So we're going to shoot shoot it back. Oh, my angle. I look okay. Okay. Uh, We're going to shoot it back to your camera and just plug yourself, show that YouTube channel, let the audience know what's going on in your life and where they can find you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yes, I am going to be uh, Tim Newton today. That's just the name of the channel. I don't know what I'm going to call the program. I don't even know what I'm going to do on the program, except I'm going to talk about things. But uh, it be lovely to see you there. And uh, if you subscribe to the channel, I promise we'll come up with something. Maybe shots of me in my Speedos mowing the lawn. Wow. Just imagine. That just lost a few viewers. (laughs) But thank you very much to you for watching. Thank you, Brendan, for having me. Thank you to Hans for pressing the buttons. Awesome. Okay, that ends I remember him. He was was the nicest guy on the BTS and at Macro. I remember him so well. Well, he's got to edit this later, so he's going to make (laughs) make you look great. (laughs) Maybe he'll put a a sticker over here. No. Um, That ends another episode. Be sure to find uh, Tim's new uh, channel. It's on YouTube. Tim Newton show. I totally fucked that up. Eh? Tim Newton today. See Tim Newton today. See, I got it, the TNT. Anyways, I, I spoke to I'm, the I'm one about the, the name of the show, and they said Tim Newton today. It's a stupid name. I think it works anyway. because at least your name and that brand's out there already. They know I who can you always are. change it. Tim Newton today. He'll be talking everything, cutting long cobras, and uh, hopefully we see some cats in the background because that's probably why I'm going to oh, be visiting. Cats. Cats are going to be, that is going to make you go viral. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot, Tim. And uh, we'll try to bring him back on when he gets um, more closer to the uh, retirement package coming up. The best exotic Marigold Phuket Hotel. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, and we're out. (laughs) 